From William of Jumiege, History of the Normans. King Canute dismissed the deputies of the wise Norman duke without any good answer. And then the duke, animated by a very violent fury, gave orders to build in all haste a great number of vessels. Then, having collected his fleet, and having well equipped it with anchors, weapons, and valiant men, he gave the signal for departure, and caused the sails to be unfurled to the wind. But the fleet was thrown by a strong storm towards the island which is called Jersey, and those who formed part of the expedition managed to land only through the greatest of dangers. They were detained in Jersey, for a long time, and with contrary wind still blowing, the duke was in despair and felt inconceivable pain. Finally, seeing that there was no way for him to cross the sea, he turned the prows of his ships. In Viking times, a thing was a gathering, a place where leaders and warriors could meet and talk. In the 21st century, our thing is a virtual place, where history academics and enthusiasts from around the world can come together to share knowledge. We're your hosts, Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. So hold on to your helmets for this episode of that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. So today I am joined by Helen Ottowell, who is the Head of Education at Jersey Heritage. Jersey Heritage is responsible for the island of Jersey's major historic sites, their public archives and award-winning museums. They hold a collection of artifacts, works of art, documents, specimens and information relating to Jersey's culture, environment and history. Today, of course, we're going to be chatting specifically about the Viking history of Jersey. So hello, Helen, thank you for joining us today. Nice to be here. So before we start talking about Jersey's Viking Age connections, can can you tell us a bit about Jersey itself? There are a few places around the world named Jersey, aren't there? Uh, But (laughs) we're specifically talking about the island in Europe this time, aren't we? (laughs) Yes, we're the original, I would say. So, yeah, we are the largest of the sort of four main Channel Islands. There are a few others, Guernsey, Sark, Herm and Alderney. And we are just off the coast of France. So we're much more sort of affiliated to France in terms of geography than we are with England. We're only 14 miles away from the French coast. And on a really lovely, clear day, you can see it, even cars driving along the road in France. And uh, but we're about 85 miles from the English coast and we are very tiny, even though that we're the biggest channel island. So we're only nine miles by five, but we pack a punch in terms of the amount of history we've managed to sort of fit into our tiny little island. Excellent. So there's quite a lot of history uh, down there in Jersey. So we're going to be chatting specifically about the Viking period, though. What are the earliest mentions of Vikings visiting Jersey, according to medieval literature? Well, unfortunately, there is hardly anything about um, Vikings visiting in terms of medieval literature. A lot of our sort of Vikings coming to Jersey is very anecdotal and folklorish. 
We even have a, a St. Helier, which is the town of um, Jersey, sort of the biggest parish in the island, um, called St. Helier, named after a saint who lived here in around the 550s. And he died in 555. He's the patron saint of Jersey in the Channel Islands. But he was allegedly killed by Vikings. You see it sort of everywhere you sort of type in about St. Helier. Oh, killed by Vikings. The parish crest of St. Helier has two axes crossed together. So I think there's that sort of connection with the Vikings and the axes. But obviously, you know, the, the dates are just wildly out. But he just, in sort of folklore, he's always killed by Vikings. That's really interesting. So he was around in the 6th century, was that, St. Helier? Yeah, yeah, 6th century. So he came over from Belgium, was a hermit on a small rock in the sort of Bay of St. Aubin, uh, just sort of off the main town of where St. Helier is now. Um, he lived there for a few years, just being a hermit, fasting and praying. And he allegedly well, this is the thing, Viking raiders would come and um, attack Jersey and he would light fires to warn the islanders that they were coming so they could be prepared and the Viking raiders would go away again. And then eventually he was taken by surprise and killed by those raiders. You know, we, we actually do think it was the Saxons coming down from sort of um, Saxony, but the, the, the dates are just slightly out, but it's this idea of Vikings attacking Jersey and killing people with axes that has just become sort of in this Jersey folklore. So that's interesting that it may have actually been Saxons who attacked, who are labelled Vikings in this story. It kind of makes the English hypocrites, doesn't it, really? <laughs> kind of <laughs> it does. Go and save us from the fury of the Vikings when <laughs> possibly back in the 6th century they were doing the same thing. I wonder yeah, yeah. if the if the accounts of St. Helier's martyrdom, I wonder if that is the, the physical manuscript, if that's written perhaps during the Viking Age or slightly after, perhaps flavoured by recent experiences of the actual Vikings. Sure it was. <laughs> some of the, the story of the martyrdom, it does kind of have echoes in some of the martyrdoms that occur actually during the, the actual Viking Age itself which we date from late 8th to mid-11th century. It reminds me particularly of the martyrdom of St Edmund in East Anglia in England. He had his head chopped off, which I, I believe St Helier did as well. And I think in both instances, they're still sort of alive after having their heads chopped off. <laughs> um, yes. yep. St Helier so picked up his head and walked across the beach with it, still warning the islanders. St Edmund, I think he needed a bit of help finding his head. His head was lost in the bushes <laughs> after the Vikings threw it there. And a friendly wolf leads his loyal followers to find the head. So that's interesting there. There are definitely some parallels with some martyrdoms from the, the kind of chronologically correct Viking age. But also it's interesting they're using the term Viking for non-Scandinavians in that period, because historically the term Viking, it wasn't just used for raiders from Scandinavia. In some of the earliest Anglo-Saxon mentions, I think it refers to pirates in the Mediterranean. It's just a very kind of loose term, which I think very much in modern times, we have kind of stuck this term Vikings to a very specific bunch of people. But clearly, 
earlier on, it's much more of a, a loosey-goosey piece of terminology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Jersey was always susceptible to attacks from the sea. So people could be coming, they're sea raiders, they're pirates, they're Vikings. It's a real catch-all terminology, isn't it? But the sort of our knowledge now, our teaching in schools is that Vikings are those people with the helmets and the ones that come from Scandinavia. So it's it, it does sort of echo that sort of crossover of words between times, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. So do we have any accounts of any Viking raids that may have taken place in Jersey or the surrounding Channel Islands? Well, the only one that we really have, and to call it an account is to overstate it somewhat, is by a writer called Was. He was a poet writing in the um, 11th century, and he'd written already the Roman de Brut, which was a, a a history of the um, Brittany Islands, but he actually writes in his um, Roman de Rue, which is all about Rollo, who will come up later, I'm sure, um, all about Rollo and about Hasting, the Viking of Hasting. And all he says about Jersey was that Sherbourg was destroyed by the powerful Hastings, by him and the men from the region. And in a number of places, the ruins are visible from which the Saracens created in Alderney, Jersey, Sark, Herm and Guernsey. And then they sailed upstream until they reached Brittany. And that's literally all we have. But it's clear that Was understood that Hasting had this raiding, pillaging going on and that Jersey was right in the centre of that area where he was. So it was clear that Jersey was part of those raids. Mm, it's a slightly frustrating nature of kind of early medieval history, isn't it? We've got just these scraps of references to probably quite big frightening events that took place in the period. What's even more frustrating is that he's, Wes is from Jersey, he's sort of one seen as the first Jersey poet, and that he talks with great detail about some other things and other events going on, and certainly some of Hastings' raids that go on. But he hardly mentions Jersey at all, which I find sort of quite incredible, really, considering that he came from Jersey. I had always expected that he would be going into more details, but it's such a sort of almost a throwaway line, just in a number of places, the ruins are visible where he went. You know, it, it's sort of this smaller piece of history which for Jersey must have been huge and devastating but it's just this tiny little bit in this huge kind of poem. Mm, we, we have some sort of similar issues when it comes to using um, early medieval texts for trying to understand the, the history around York and the surrounding area. We find a lot of the the manuscripts like the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle they're very much focused on the south of England and you get these little passing anecdotes to what's going on in York. And we're like, wait, what was that? Was that a huge political event that just happened in that <laughs> sentence? <laughs> it's interesting that, was it was it Hasting who was the one who was raiding the Channel Islands? Because he's a bit of a Viking celebrity, that one. <laughs> he is, he is. Um, yeah, so Hasting had been, you know, around in the in the French region, he would he'd been in Brittany, he'd been all around sort of the area of of Jersey and that French coast. So it's 
whether it's the real Hasting or whether, you know, it's just that sort of name that gets passed on as the person who was responsible for the raid, we're not sure. And that's that's the other issue as well, isn't it? Mm. Do you think Jersey was on his um, probably massive tour of raids across the coastline of Europe, wasn't it? I'd imagine um, the first of many. He got all the way to Italy, I believe, Heston. Um, so maybe Jersey was his practice ground before he was trying to target <laughs> Rome. <laughs> so it sounds like that the text-based evidence, it's it's a little bit sort of scarce for detail about what the Vikings are up to. How about archaeology? Is there any archaeological evidence of what Vikings were doing in Jersey? Again, we have hardly anything. Um, in Jersey, we have no archaeological evidence whatsoever. The only archaeological evidence that we have for Vikings being on our shores, being on the land, has been found in Guernsey, where they have found a Viking gaming piece. And that is the only piece of archaeological evidence that we have. It's one of those really frustrating things where we have archaeology from all sorts of time periods, except for the Vikings. It's interesting, it's a gaming piece that was found. They seem to litter them absolutely everywhere. Um, they find Viking gaming pieces up at Lindisfarne, and you're thinking, were they, were they playing a board game whilst they were attacking this place? What's going on? <laughs> we're quite spoilt in cities like York that we have that kind of that rich waterlogged soil that preserves so much Viking Age archaeology. Um, it's worth remembering that in many places, artifacts just aren't preserved by the nature of the soil or the nature of the activity that was going on in that area, I suppose. So if there's not any archaeological evidence, how about place name evidence? Do you have any of that down in Jersey? Thankfully we do. Um, and that is really our main piece of evidence that we have that v Vikings, as we know them, were around the area, were using Jersey, had sailed past Jersey. A huge amount of place names come from that Norse origin. They've they've obviously sort of changed over time, but we have the E Y at the end of the words of Jersey, Circe, Guernsey, Chaussee, Alderney, you know, which obviously E means island, large island. So they're naming these places as an island. And we actually think that Jersey. J-E-R-S comes from Gers. So it's that idea of the spear or a name of Gers or Gare. So it could be Spear Island or Gers Island. So that's really, you know, even the whole, we have no archaeology, but our entire name is based on the Norse language. That's really interesting. So we've got a couple of mentions of raids here and there and not much archaeology but lots of place name evidence so where do you think this Norse influence upon Jersey has come from? Well we think that a lot of that Norse influence is coming from us just being in the way of France and England so there's we're just sort of a by you know we're, pe say, people are sailing past us and so some of these names are coming oh that's um there's a there's a piece of land on the west coast of the island which is called Grone had a castle built on it in the 14th century but it's from a Norse word grossness meaning grey headland just around the corner from that there's one called Latak which is means stack of rocks from Stakir 
So these place names are sort of around the island about rocks and about um, prominent trees and all of those types of sort of visible things that you would need for sailing, for your, your wayfinding. So we think that there's a connection there, but we also think that some of that connection comes from being part and close to Normandy. So the Norse language came through Normandy. So we have that sort of influence coming up from Rollo and the Normans coming up from France. We're really close to that. We eventually become part of it, part of the Normandy land. So that language comes through and gets used in the island. So that's really interesting hearing about Norse language kind of funneling through kind of Norman culture into Jersey. I think here in England, because of course the Norman influence really begins here in 1066, by which point William the Conqueror is quite far removed from Rollo by this point, we tend to sort of picture the Normans as being a very French people rather than a very sort of Scandinavian people. But Jersey kind of enters the Norman orbit substantially earlier than England does, doesn't it? Is, is it within Rollo's lifetime or his son, I believe? Yeah, his son sort of really comes into the picture. So Rollo becomes Duke of Normandy, um, whether you call it the Duke or the King, it's, it's always a bit sort of vague, um, in 9-11. And then in Eventually, in 933, the Contentin Peninsula, which Jersey is sort of feudally attached to, is absorbed into that Normandy um, land. And it was William Longsword who captured that Contentin Peninsula and um, annexing Jersey and the islands. And apparently they were described as the land of the Bretons by the sea coast. So we're clearly part of, you know, this new piece of the Normandy area under Norman rule. Interesting. So it's, it is that very early part where they've only kind of really just become the Normans then. Yeah. So they've probably got a, a lot of their traditions, such as their languages from Scandinavia, were still in play at that point. They hadn't started riding around horses and jousting quite yet, I suppose. <laughs> so I'd imagine Jersey and the Channel Islands, I guess, are sort of their, their practice grounds before they much later cross the Channel and invade England in the 11th century. One of the things that we think actually happens is that the if you look at the sort of the language of the Normans, it's that Norse connected with the French and it becomes this sort of almost new language that eventually in Jersey becomes the local language of Gerier, which is our sort of our historic language. So that has this sort of French elements to it. So you would, if you heard someone speaking Gerier, you would be, oh, that sounds French, sort of. Oh, it sounds a bit odd. And it's got that sort of Norse influence in it. So it's this sort of real combination of the two. So that Gerier language is still around in Jersey and is officially our second language. So that's really interesting because the kind of the, the linguistic legacy of the Vikings, that's perhaps their greatest cultural legacy that lasts to the modern day in different parts of Europe. 
in modern English, so much of the, the words that we're speaking now in this conversation come from the Old Norse language. And I've come across some mentions in late medieval writing where people from the south of England go to the north of England and they're essentially saying they speak a really weird language in the north. They sound almost Danish up there. What's going on? <laughs> so clearly it's a very similar thing going on down in Jersey with a bit of a, a French flavour added into it, I suppose, via the Normans. It's very strong that the connection between the language, the Norse and the French kind of amalgamates into this new language that is still kind of you have Breton language which is separate again but the Jersey Gerrier is, is still a very strong language. Excellent so that's clearly an example of the the cultural legacy that the Vikings have left in Jersey. Um, here in York and the rest of England there's very strong cultural legacy as well in all sorts of different forms so can you tell us a bit more about the legacy of the Normans in Jersey? Well, I mean, really, the, the strongest one is our language. But one of our other influences that we have is the fact that our legal system is very, very based on a French legal system. Until it, even only a few years ago, our royal court was written in French. So we have this sort of strange French influence, which comes from that Norman Normandy link that we have. We have um, certain sort of odd little laws. There's one that's called the Clamour d'Arrow, which is about putting a property dispute, putting an, a straight, uh, an injunction straight away onto a property dispute by raising the Clamour d'Arrow, which is about you have to ask the, you're asking the prince to stop the work, stop the legal thing going on on the, the house which then um, creates an injunction so all then all legal things have to happen again and this clamor d'arrow is a really interesting injunction it doesn't happen very often um, it's sort of you know it's in the paper if it it happens because you have to be really sure that you're going to be on the right side of the injunction but the first time it was raised was at William the Conqueror's grave in Caen as the person who owned the abbey didn't want him to be buried there so he raised the clamour d'arrow and that clamour can still be used in Jersey for the property injunctions. That's really interesting I love these kind of little like leftovers of the medieval period that still survive into the modern age. Am I right in thinking as well that the, that the British monarch um, officially in Jersey is still the Duke of Normandy as well? Well, sort of, yes. The The idea is that because we are still, we were part of Normandy, our first sort of uh, relationship is with the Duke of Normandy rather than the English monarch. Um, so if a mon visiting monarch comes to the island, a uh, toast is made to our duke rather than to our king or queen. However, there is some dispute over whether that is true because obviously in 1204, King John lost Normandy. So whether we are still part of Normandy or really we went with the English in 1204 rather than stay French. So that's the sort of, we're, there's one of those sort of things where, well, we might say our duke and I think officially we do but actually if you look at the 
letter of the law, we're not really part of Normandy anymore. Yes, I suppose with uh, the, the loss of Normandy by the English monarch in the later medieval period, and then I suppose subsequently the, the French Revolution, when the, the aristocracy are kind of booted <laughs> out. I imagine the Channel Islands, they're, they're the last kind of piece of that sort of ancestral Norman Viking duchy that traces its way all, all the way back to Rollo, I suppose. Yeah, so in, in 1204, the Jersey landowners had to decide whether they were going to stick with Normandy or um, take their chances with King John in England. And the seigneurs at the time, the sort of the barons of the island, decided to go with England instead of Normandy. That's really interesting. So um, thank you so much for all this information you've given us here today. It's really interesting learning about what Vikings are up to in other parts of the world outside of York, and particularly interesting learning about what the Normans were doing as well. Uh, There's more of the Normans than 1066, especially in places like Jersey, it sounds as well. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. If any listeners uh, want to learn a bit more about the history of Jersey, I'd recommend checking out the Jersey Heritage website where there are some learning pages with information. Or alternatively, go visit Jersey. It's a lovely part of the world. (laughs) So thank you, Helen. If you liked this episode and want to learn more about the Vikings, then come visit Jorvik Viking Centre, where you can enjoy the sights, sounds and smells of the Viking Age. You can book your tickets at jorvikvikingcentre.co.uk. Don't forget to rate and review that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast on your podcast app. And if you enjoyed the show, share us with a friend. It's the best way to help support your favorite history podcast. To contact us for more information or ideas for future episodes, you can email us on podcast at yorkat.co.uk. Thanks for listening to that Jorvik Viking Thing podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other major podcast platforms. That Jorvik Viking Thing podcast is a production of the Jorvik Group and York Archaeology, hosted by Miranda Schmiederer and Lucas Norton. Researched by Lucas Norton, produced by Miranda Schmiederer, Lucas Norton, and Gareth Henry. Sound designed and edited by Miranda Schmiederer.